Amen, friends. Thank you so much for joining together and worshiping God. Because when we worship together as a family of God, I mean, I love worshiping in my car. I love worshiping on a walk with my dog out in nature and seeing God's beautiful creation. But wow, when we worship together as the family of God, that's something beautiful. In 2018, something wonderful began here. I believe it was something wonderful. I still feel it as something wonderful. It was the beginning of the journey that would become Connections Church, and we felt that the name Connections aptly brought together the fact that we weren't, that God was already at work here, that there were past love and prayers here, that we were stepping into something that, um, we, what's that song, uh, we didn't start the fire, you know, like, like we, 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 we were a part of something and we were connecting with something that was happening. But as Connections was emerging from past things and a beautiful thing we pray will be growing up, I had an image. I don't know exactly when it came, but it was very, very early on in the time whenever I was coming to visit and preach and we were having some meetings. And it was the image of the parable, which I'm about to read you. And specifically, it was the image of the return of the king whenever the king said, well done, good and faithful servant. I had this overwhelming sense that there was a treasure here that we had the opportunity to multiply. There had long been prayers of vision, investment to see the multiplication, the growth of God's kingdom, of lives touched, of people saved, of great mission endeavors going forward to touch more lives here and even around the world. And that image has held me and kept me going now for several years. But I will also say, I don't know if we're there yet. There is still work to be done. There is still the threat of letting fear take hold of our hearts to bury what God has already placed in our hands, or we can stretch out those hands in faith and we can risk some things we can do some worship nights with Brazilians. That sounds like a risk. <laughs> we can invite our neighbors to VBS the week after. We can have a car show, invite a bunch of car nuts to come here and celebrate with us. We can keep reaching out in faith to see if God can multiply the treasure that's already in our hands. Let me read this parable for you, friends. This is gonna be one that, again, you probably think, I learned this one in Sunday school. If you grew up in Sunday school, or maybe you've just heard it referenced uh, kind of throughout uh, your life of faith, but maybe you've never heard a message on it. So we are gonna get into the message now. What is the deeper meaning here of the parable of the talents, the bags of gold, uh, the two faithful, the one unfaithful servant? It gets called a lot of different things. But here we go. We're jumping into Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to pick up here at verse 14. Again, this isn't a string of parables that Jesus has been teaching. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ooh, this is the word of our Lord. Ooh. I grew up hearing, knowing that the US went off of the gold standard the year before I was born. But I have to admit, I know nothing about the gold standard. I also have to admit, I just read a Wikipedia page this past week on the gold standard, and I still have no idea what the gold standard is. It's a very confusing standard, but basically you gauge your unit of measurement for the value of the dollar against a fixed measure of gold. I don't understand a word I just said, but this is what I know. This is what I know, that uh, the world kind of came into more of a gold standard following the US's civil war as international trade was growing and growing more and more. The US went off the gold standard briefly during World War I and then into the Great Depression. It went briefly off the gold standard again uh, in World War II. And then in 1944, the US went back onto the gold standard and it stayed in place until Richard Nixon pulled the plug and said, we're off the gold standard in 1971. And there was no sort of fixed or set reason to never go back to it, but we as an economy, we as a nation kind of determined we are not going back to the gold standard. Although whenever we hit an economic recession, there's always some small contingent of people saying, go back to the gold standard because we seem to love this gold stuff. I, I don't, again, I don't understand all the nuances of a gold standard, but I know that ooh, we be loving gold. I mean, really, like we love gold. I mean, right from the Old Testament, they're making vestments with gold. Uh, Vanya was wearing, look, gold, the, 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 the balloons all over her outfit. Like we love gold. They were making all these treasures of gold throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, obviously you pick on bags of gold and people understood what that meant and what that means in terms of wealth and value and precious things. And of course, I just grew up that gold is a part of life. Uh, James Bond was fighting Goldfinger and then I played the best video game 
golden eye ever to be invented. Anybody, anybody, golden eye, greatest video game ever. Apparently, I'm the only one on that. Uh, a couple of people are gonna say, yeah, pretty good. Um, and, uh, oh, and then Mr. T, pity the fool who didn't wear the gold chains. Remember that one? I mean, like, we love gold, but this is the one. I, I tested it out this morning. A couple people remembered it. Do you remember the guy on TV? We buy your gold, gold jewel. Okay, all right, I'm not the only, I remember this guy, he wanted to buy my gold. I, but it just made me think, well, then I want, I'm gonna keep my gold if you want it so badly there must be something to it I, I should hold on to it not that I had anything to hold on to but we love gold right and that's kind of the point again of a parable a parable wants to connect you to something that you get that you understand that makes sense to you but then it's gonna take that and shake it up a bit it's gonna say it's gonna put a shine a new light onto it make you think a little bit that's the whole point of this parable, that's the whole point of these parables. Throughout this month, we're gonna be talking about some of the parables because I'm working smarter, not harder. We are teaching parables to the kids in Dulce, New Mexico. And this was the second parable that we talked about with the kids. Last week, I talked about the seeds and we talked about nurturing, uh, cultivating good soil in our lives so that we can grow in faith with God. And today, we're gonna to dive deep and unpack a bit more about this parable of the talents or of the gold. Now, a couple things about it, of course, I feel like I just almost need to get this out of the way, is there have been some, there have been multiple interpretations of what this parable is all about. Let me put it this way, so we don't have to go through all the nuances. On one end, people almost take this as not a parable, meaning this is your master class on money management. Like, you should manage money this way. If you are not doubling everything that you get a hold of, then you are a wicked and lazy and unfaithful servant. And that really pushes kind of a hyper kind of capitalism then. On the other end, some people have had a radically different interpretation of this and said, this is a parable, so this is actually has a twist and it's gonna shake things up. So this is an indictment on wealth. So hyper-spiritualized, this is all about critiquing and criticizing the wealth. Now, what we can say about that is, Jesus said some of his sternest warnings against the love of money. And of course, we see throughout the scriptures the appeal to treat workers with dignity, with respect. I mean, one of the, the big reason to come out of Egypt was to come out of slavery, enslaving people as workers to the man and to give them a day off to worship and to give them whole seasons off to worship God. So we don't see this sort of um, capitalism run amok with no checks and balances kind of, uh, you know, apologetic here in this. But, but neither do we see this just super stern, all wealth is bad. No, 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 no. Jesus never says that wealth is bad. He says the love of your wealth over God is what is bad. And on top of that, we know that there's a lot of uh, correction and a lot of encouragement against the sin of sloth. Um, throughout the Proverbs, of course, is probably the place we go to to find out like, no, God like wants us to get our hands in the dirt, to work, to be productive, to make things happen. So if this is not your apologetic for whichever economic system you may prefer, <laughs> and we have our preferences, right? Well, then why does Jesus hit us up with this parable? That actually is easy. Isn't it funny how people can so easily miss the point of scripture sometimes? <laughs> it's, easy, it's sad, actually. It's about the kingdom of God. 
It says it right there in the text. This is actually to help us understand deeper things about the kingdom of God. And to not let this speak to our understanding of our welcome into the work of the kingdom of God is to abuse this passage. The disciples know, well, no, they, 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 they're sensing things are about to change in the ministry of Jesus. And they come to him with a question. Are you at this time seeing Passover on the horizon, a big festival, people are coming into the city, lots of stuff is happening. Seeing what is about to happen here, they say, are you going to now reestablish the kingdom of Israel in Jerusalem? Meaning they wanted Jesus to take these powers that they've seen in him, his ability to work miracles, uh, to heal the sick, to feed the masses, to even raise the dead. Would he somehow leverage all this power and leverage his power over people to usher in an earthly kingdom in Israel. And, 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 and we know that Jesus gives some direct statements to that. It's not for you to know the time and the date and the son of man, this is even at this time kind of held from, from my knowledge. And he then would always push them to say, no, but, but a change is coming and is now upon you. And it is about experiencing the kingdom of God at work in your life and in our world. Now, of course, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we recognize that there's a king, there's a ruler, there's someone over the thing, and a kingdom is wherever that person has control, has authority. So what we know is what Jesus was talking about, the kingdom of God is available, it's at hand, it's within your reach. What he was saying is, of course, you can experience the kingdom in your life when you let me rule and reign in you. You are part of the kingdom when I am your king, when I have control over all of this stuff. But he was also pointing to, and as the kingdom grows from you, it can grow outward as well. It can touch other lives. It can touch other people. It can touch other places. Jesus was inviting them to a deeper experience and particip participation in the kingdom. And so he teaches a bunch of parables. Don't have time to teach them all to you, so let me just give the quick rundown. You maybe have heard that this is the Olivet Discourse because they go to the, um, uh, an olive grove and then they ask him about the kingdom and he just starts telling them these stories. So first he tells them the story about the owner of a house and if he knew when the thief was going to break in, he would have been ready. And there seems to be this theme of be watchful for the kingdom. Be watchful, the kingdom is kind of pressing upon you. It's coming down to you, it's available to you. So be on your watch for the kingdom of God. Then he told a parable about servants sort of getting caught doing good work faithfully. And there seems to be this thrust of be faithful, be faithful to what you know, to what has already been revealed to you and your participation in the kingdom of God. And then he has one about this wedding uh, procession is about to come and these 10 women are getting ready and uh, they have the oil for the lamp so they can see the procession coming and some don't and they want to get the oil and they're like go get your own oil and there's definitely this theme be prepared be prepared whenever the procession comes be prepared for when you see the kingdom showing up and then he gets into this one and this one seems to want to take that preparation a little bit further and move us into productivity so we're to be watchful we're to be faithful we're to be prepared and this is the invitation to be productive, productive in and for the kingdom of God. Make sense? 
Were we with it so far? Okay, so the story, so, so he captures their attention with all this talk of gold, and then he's gonna kind of throw the twist into it, and the twist seems to be two servants who do a really good job and get the well-done, good and faithful servant, and then the servant at the end gets the wicked and lazy. Now, let me just say this before we unpack it a little bit more. This can land on us then as a great encouragement or a cautionary tale. And I'll just leave that for God to weigh on you whatever you need. Maybe some of you are going to need an encouragement and you're going to be encouraged by this parable to get to work with the bags of gold that God has already put in your hands. Or maybe this is a cautionary tale that you need to do some reflection on your life and how Jesus is receiving that. Let me also say this, let me also say this, because we need to treat the word of God uh, as the word of God um, and, and never to add to it or take away from it. Is this parable teaching us a works-based salvation? No, that would be contrary to the full revelation of scripture. But again, that would be somewhere that sometimes people wanna push this to, to saying, now if I haven't done my work well, if I have ever made a mistake, if I ever got you know, fired, whatever, you, you know, oh no, is my salvation, is God's love, you know, am I separated from God's love? No, 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 no. Don't push this to the place of a works-based theology that negates the grace of Jesus Christ and our salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But this is definitely an encouragement and a warning to what we do with our salvation because we are always called to a faith that does something, right? So this is really ultimately about a faith that does something with the treasure of the gospel in our hearts, in our lives and sharing that treasure with the world. Does that make sense? Are we all on board? Or we, we would get it? So I talked, I talked, to kids all week. I was like, I wanna get deep this morning and actually unpack some adult things. Um, so, so what are we gonna do now with the treasure, with this gold, with this investment of the gospel in our lives? Um, I love the story. He's uh, kind of back to the story. He has these two servants. One gets five bags and he doubles it to uh, five more. Another gets two bags and, and, and he doubles it to get two more. But then two things strike me. I had to limit it to two things that strike me about this. The first thing is he says, you've been faithful with a few things. If you were given five bags of gold, would you consider that a few things? <laughs> in, in my realm of economic life, if somebody handed me five talents, so a talent was originally a unit of measure, there's some argument on what it ultimately meant, but in the end it boils down to a bag of gold that's worth a lot of money. People can test what it might have actually been, but it was worth a whole lot. Five bags of gold doubled to 10 in the master's eyes? You've been faithful with just, yeah, just a few things. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. You're faithful. There's almost this nonchalantness about it. And that's, again, part of what would capture the audience that's paying attention. I get the value and the worth of this, but wait a second. Did you just say that's, that's just like a little bit? Yeah, in God's eyes, that's just a little, I mean, that's like just a fraction of it. I've, I've shared bits about this, about me in the past, uh, I'll try not to drag this out too long, but for some reason, I have been, and I'm not, I'm not saying this facetiously, I have been uh, hindered by a scarcity mentality versus an abundance mindset. 
you would think, I, I joke about it, you know, to kind of make light of it, but to always keep it in front of me. You would think I grew up in the Great Depression, the way I approach uh, abundance and material things and possessions. I, I'm, for some reason, I'm wired that way. I was born in a hospital. I went home in a car. I went to a home. I went to a home that had a roof, that had my own room, that had a refrigerator, that had heat. I, I, I have every reason logically to believe in an abundance mentality. Does our mentality follow logic? <laughs> Very rarely do our mentalities, our mindsets, our emotions, our feelings, our actions, we, I wish I was more logical sometimes. Because logic would tell me, George, you have every reason to trust in the God who has provided for you from day one. And I know that people have gone without. People have been in places. I mean, there's people in our congregation that were born into places, positions, families, nations of extreme scarcity and poverty. And yet these are some of the people, the most faithful, trusting, abundant people that I know, which blows my mind, because it doesn't make sense that I would have this scarcity mentality. I need to go to the scriptures. I need to go to God. I need the work of God's people in my life so that I might embrace what has been revealed. And that is our God is the God who considers 10 talents of gold, just a few things. So it ain't no thing for God to provide for the needs of his people in his church. Amen, friends? Amen, friends. We just have to, I have to get that into my, into my heart, into my mind. The other thing that I have to get into myself is uh, the other thing that I love. Uh, he says, now, what does he say? Share in my, catch it there? Share in my happiness. Share in my joy. Do you realize that the master, that our God, he wants us to share in the joy of the kingdom? Is your default mindset to the joy of the kingdom? I mean, this, this morning, we've already talked about praising, dancing, singing, sharing joy. You know, we've been invited to what will be a joyful celebration here on Saturday night. I don't know, again, what it is about so much of Western Christianity, but we feel that it is more virtuous to sometimes be sour <laughs> instead of joyful. And I will just pray against that as long as I'm the pastor here. I will pray for the joy of the Lord, whether you are resisting it or not, to take hold of you and shake you and wake you and get you singing and dancing and celebrating and sharing the good news because we are invited to share the joy of the master. Is this good news to anybody today? I, I hope so, I hope so. And some of you will fight it kicking and screaming, but the joy of the master is the invitation. You are participating in the work of the kingdom and now you're not just a kind of a servant of it, but you are a participant in it. Share in my happiness, share in my joy, share in the abundance of this kingdom. That's another mentality that I need to work on getting into deeper into my heart and soul and my thinking. Our God is abundant and our God invites us to joy. Of course, then there is the cautionary tale of this that a lot of people can get hung up on. And it is a cautionary tale. It is a warning and it is a stern warning. But understand this, 
the wicked and unfaithful servant, this lazy servant, he comes to the master and he says, um, I knew you to be a harsh man. You, you, you reap where you haven't sown. You, know, you harvest where you haven't planted crops. Um, I, I, at what point in this story has the master been cruel, harsh, mean, nasty, a tyrant? At any point, do we get that image of the master? No, 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 no. So essentially what hap is happening here, and there's a lot that we could say about it, is this, is like, well, if that's how you see me, if that is your measure of judgment, that is what you'll be judged by. Which again, we could say a lot about in the ministry of Jesus. The warning here is be careful what you judge God by, be careful what you judge others by, because I might just turn that back on you and judge you by that. And so that's all that Jesus is really doing, and there's a lot more to it. But basically saying, okay, if that's the rule, if that's the measure, if that's what we're going by, I guess I'll hold you to it. I will be harsh, I will be direct, I will be even cruel to you. Take what he has, give it to the one who has abundance, and throw him out into the night where he's not going to be happy. But what do we do with this now? What do we do with this? I don't want to end with the heaviness of the cautionary tale of this, because I hope that all of us can move past that and into the encouragement to be participants of stewardship. Because in the end, despite all the preaching of the preacher and the deeper understanding we hopefully have of this text, so we don't misuse or abuse it, is this is an invitation to stewardship. It all belongs to the king. We are entrusted to little parts of it, tiny little, a few things, but we prove ourselves faithful with the few things he trusts us with. One of the things that we did with the kids is we wanted this to be applicable for a child, of course. So we said, God has given you three T's. And you may have heard this before. It's good for kids and it's still good for adults. He's given you some talents, actual talents, actual gifts, not the unit of measurement. He's given you some gifts, some talents. He's given you time and he has given you some treasure. So let me just break this down for a quick application for us. And then we'll kind of continue in worship. We'll have coffee, we'll share and we'll fellowship and we'll, we'll move forward in mission this week together. Um, God has given you talents. Don't bury them. Don't bury your talents. Some of you, maybe right now, even as I say this, you immediately had something come to mind. A gift that you've been given, a, a seed that God planted in your heart, some ability that you have, that you have buried, that you haven't nurtured, that you haven't worked on growing. I will tell this just sort of like anecdotally and just by way, like my son is a, my, my wife is a great musician and, and she teaches piano and all those things and she taught our kids music and then kind of COVID hit and, and a lot of things changed and my son quit playing guitar. Um, and then we visited him this past week after the mission trip and he asked us to, to, to he asked for his guitar back. And I was like, hey, yeah, yeah, and, I, and, 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 and I, as a dad, I played off cool. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, yeah, we can bring. You know, I, I, you gotta play it cool as a dad. But I was like, yes, he has a talent. He really does, he really has a talent. He's gifted, he's good, and he's gonna start nurturing that again. So I'm like, yes, yes, nurture. So again, the cautionary tale for us. Maybe you recognize you buried something, and it's time to dig that up and start working on that talent again. The other thing that a lot of us bury is time. There's a lot we could say about time, but we are burying time in reels and movies and TV and boring. And, 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 and I get it, I love cat reels and, and, and mountain bike reels, and I could, I could get sucked into them for hours probably. But 
Don't bury your time. Invest your time. Inve and you know this, I don't have to berate this one. Invest your time in prayer. Invest your time in God's word. Invest your time in people. Invest your time in meals around tables with friends. Invest your time in serving. Invest your time in mowing the lawn. Invest your time in, invest your time in things that you know will grow. Amen, friends? Amen, friends. And then lastly, of course, you have treasure. Uh, why don't we get the band up here so I don't go too long on this? We've had a full service. It's been good. Um, I had a bag of actual coins. Here's my bag of coins. These are props. There's not real gold here. Kids, by the way, you don't have to sneak up here. And you'll be very disappointed if you think there's actual gold here and come up to steal them. But I do have a couple of gold coins left that we used with the kids. Actually, they're gold, they're purple, they're rose, they're all kinds of different colors. Um, as we worship, um, you could come up and grab one of these um, from me. If that's something that you want, you can grab one after the service. And maybe this could be your reminder of this parable for the coming days, the coming weeks, maybe for the whole summer. And just think, you know, I'm gonna put it in your pocket. So every time you reach and you grab it, just be like, oh, I gotta, I gotta be a steward gifts that God has given me. I'm going to teach one super fast, tiny thing uh, that, that I've taught before. Um, but how do we steward our treasures? How do we steward the literal? So one of the things is we have to deal with what is actually here. And a part of this is actually dealing with wealth, dealing with money. So here's a, here's a simple money management tool. Look no further than your hand. Do I have a hand here? I think everybody here has a hand. My father-in-law is here. He would point out that he only has three fingers. He lost two. But for the rest of us, for most of us, <laughs> he had a farming accident as a kid. Um, your thumb. Thumb is pretty unique, right? Not many of God's creatures have a thumb. But we are uniquely called to be stewards. Just let this be the reminder that I am uniquely made in the image of God. And the thumb is what allows us to grasp the whole to build so much. And the scripture invites us to grasp, to take hold, to create, to build. You are a steward. You are called to go to work. Read through Proverbs. You will realize God wants me to get up and do something with my day. <laughs> so get up and do something. Go to work. That's stage one of understanding how money and treasure works. Number two, your pointer finger, right? What should we always point to? What should be the thing we point to with our lives? Points 
this be your savings plan? I like it that it's the weakest finger because like, 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 it's like really hard to save sometimes. <laughs> like it's a weakness for a lot of people. But do yourself the favor of paying yourself and get some money in the savings. Get yourself some margin. Get yourself a buffer. Start putting some money into that savings and invest it. Let it grow. And then what's the last finger? The pinky finger? What's the one thing we haven't talked about yet? Spending. You got to spend. I mean, you got some money, so spend it. Pay your bills, go on a vacation, buy a new bike, buy new skis, buy a new guitar. I always do a guitar. 